in our series following Jesus, we are coming close to the end of it. It's a topical series of things that we don't often have the opportunity to fit into other passages. If we're going through a Bible book, sometimes a passage might touch on something, but not enough to devote half the sermon or a whole sermon to it. And so this is a topical series where we're we're going through things that we don't often deal with on other occasions. And today is one of those occasions where we're going to be talking about giving and receiving. While it's more blessed to give than to receive, Jesus tells us, there are times when we all need to receive, especially when we go through times of hardship. As I was preparing for today, um, I read up a little about how in Belfast, about 250 years ago, before we have the, the benefit system, the social system that we have now to help out, some wealthy individuals and the local community worked together to set up Clifton House in the New Lodge area as a poor house and as a hospital. 30 years later, another poor house was set up at Smithfield. And it depends who you read. Some historians give very positive reviews of these workhouses. And they helped to, to a significant extent. But others would say that they've, they've been very harsh places. They were the last resort for many people who were in poverty. Later on, In 1837, the Irish Poor Law was introduced. And that was, as one writer said, it represented the official acknowledgement of state responsibility for social welfare and of the entitlement of the poor to some public assistance. Before that, the state just didn't take a, a role in helping out those who were the most vulnerable in society. If we were to discuss the reasons for poverty in Ireland at that time, including the penal laws, we could be here till tea time. But those early steps forward towards the social security system were important. People find themselves in poverty and in need for a variety of reasons. We've seen recently parts of Britain especially and other parts of the world, but places in Britain find themselves in flood that have never been in flood before. People's houses are, all their possessions are, are ruined. So natural disaster, we can see flood and famine and drought in other parts of the world, of course. Natural disaster causes poverty. National issues such as war, recession, in some parts of the world incompetent governments cause poverty. Personal issues, ill health, Unemployment, divorce, addictions, poor money management, or what others do to us that are outside of our control. Job discrimination, scams, employers withholding wages. So many things can impact people's lives and force them into poverty. Since we live in a fallen world, where our own sins or the sins of others have such a big impact on our lives. It's no wonder that Jesus said that in Matthew twenty six eleven, 
you will always have the power among you. Even apart from natural disasters, as long as there's sin in the world, there will be some people who will be exploiting others. People will be poor for one reason or another. And so dealing with this problem of poverty, the need to give, the need to receive, is something that is important. It will always be with us. Around about the same time as the Irish Poor Law was being introduced <coughs> in the, the early 1800s, Victor Hugo wrote his book, Les Miserables. More people today are familiar with the musical um, or the film of it than the book. But one of the themes in the book is the contrast between the characters of the bishop, Bishop Muriel, and Jean Valjean, the former convict. They were there on the one hand. They were contrasted as gracious givers on the one hand with the innkeeper, Thenardier and his wife, they were unscrupulous takers. They swindled people. They they stole from people. They even robbed the dead. And these two groups of characters represented the the two groups of people we find in the world. They're those who give and are gracious and are those who are unscrupulous. They're takers, self-centered Today still there are far too many people who are just takers. Doesn't matter where or how, but they just get what they can from others. Some rich people exploit the poor. And some poor people exploit whatever system is there that can help. A self-centered heart makes people want more what others have. But one of the points that the book Lima's Rabla seems to show is that the problem of poverty isn't just caused by the structure of society. It's due to the fallenness of the human heart. The French Revolution had occurred about 40 years beforehand where getting rid of the rich aristocracy, those who oppressed the poor, that would be the solution. But 40 years later, there were still the poor in Paris. It wasn't the solution. Many revolutions start out trying to help those who are disadvantaged and oppressed or poor, but then those who gain power sort of love the power and they're there just for their own sakes. There have always been poor people in every country of the world as a result of sin. Although some people might say, except in Switzerland. (laughs) But it's there too, I'm sure. People want what others have, regardless of whether they need it or whether they've got enough already. It's natural to want to be better off, but even when people get some some blessings, they still want more. Rockefeller was once asked, how much money do you need? How much will be enough? And he said, one dollar more. And that was a way of saying, you never have enough, you always want more. And that's the human heart. Yet others are givers. Many rich people give generously to others, often through charities. And many poor people also give from what little they have to help others. 
Sometimes it's those who know what it is to struggle financially. Those who know what it is to be in need, who are the most generous givers. Many poor people are really generous from what little they have. In Mark twelve forty three, Jesus commended the poor widow who only put two coins into the temple treasury. But he said he, she gave far more than the rich people who gave just a fraction of what they had. Today, food banks are a great example of how to help people who find themselves in poverty for whatever reason. There are many people who are generous. Some give a little, some give a lot. People give so that others can receive. Paul wrote to those in Corinth who were donating. He says to them, Right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way things will be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. The Bible has presented a a social welfare system of sharing, of caring. And yet, I'll never forget one supermarket collection where we were giving out leaflets, asking people to donate some food. And there was one man stopped and asked, what's this leaflet about? We're saying we were collecting food to give out to those who are in need. And he rather brashly said that he, he wanted to be given some food. And I just smiled thinking he was joking, but he was serious. He, he, he actually wanted to be given food that we had collected. And I said, well, we're not only giving out food at the minute, we're just collecting. Somebody else told me afterwards, he drives a Porsche. He has a number of businesses. He's not in need at all but some people have a give me attitude Uh, they're takers they're not givers no matter how much they have they want more but the bible tells us that we ought to have a sharing mentality a giving mentality so that when we're well off we can help others and when we're in need they can help us The Bible is a lot to say about these matters, but we can only deal with a few things. Let's deal with a few things that are important. First, the Bible tells us that the sinful heart covets. We covet what is not ours, what we do not have. The very first sin in Genesis 3 was that of coveting what was not allowed. The Ten Commandments address the covetous nature of the human heart, You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Today, it's not our neighbor's donkey (laughs) that we're tempted to covet, but it might be their car. It might be their their new phone. It might be their house. It might be the, the redecoration that they've done. It might be where they're going on holiday, it might be all kinds of things. The whole advertisement industry taps into the covetous nature of the human heart. It shows the latest products online and knows that people are covetous. And it just has to present them and people will go out and buy them because they want what they don't have. 
the latest phone, the latest gadget, clothes, whatever it is. The sinful heart loves money and riches. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not of all evil, but of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered far from the truth, the true faith, and pierced themselves with many sorrows. A covetous heart, a self-centered heart, is also an ungenerous heart, an ungiving heart. But a generous heart is giving. In Proverbs we are told, Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. When we give, it's not as though we're losing out. The Bible teaches that those who give are blessed and even become more wealthy, at least in the Old Testament era. Being a giver, some people find it today, Well, the Lord ends up blessing those who give. Paul told Timothy to say what any pastor should say to their church. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. In fact, Proverbs even tells us, if you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord and he will repay you. When we're giving, when we're helping others out, we shouldn't just look at what we are losing, what we're out of pocket in. We should be looking at their gain. We should be looking at giving to the Lord. And we should be confident that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Paul commended the church of Macedonia for its giving beyond its means. And he later says to the Corinthians, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Some people look to the Bible and say, well, that's pretty much a, a sort of a, a communist approach. The Bible's against capitalism. Well, there's dangers in both those systems, but God isn't against people being wealthy. Proverbs fourteen twenty four tells us, wealth is a crown for the wise. There's nothing wrong with having a good business and making lots of money. But Paul tells Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who gives, richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they will may experience true life. We must be generous and not stingy. We must be generous to the point where we see those in need not just being brought up 
to the bread line. And anything more, we think, well, they've got too much. We should be generous to the point where they are well provided for. We mustn't be stingy. And yet, giving is not something that Christians are well known for. Some, yes. But in general, well, in some studies in the United States, Christians, at least the majority of Christians, are a small, exceptional group. But the majority of Christians aren't really much different from the rest of the population. Looking globally, the Center for the Study of Global Christianity reports that of the 53 trillion of income, trillion dollars of income of Christians worldwide each year, only 1.7% is spent on Christian causes. In the United States, about one-fifth of American evangelicals do not give one cent to any Christian cause or church. A fifth of Bible-believing Christians not giving a penny the amount that is given on average is actually skewed by a small number of really high givers and the median amount or the amount that the, the person who's halfway up the list gives is is only about 1% of what they earn of, of what their income is. In other words, 50% of American evangelicals, Bible-based Christians, give less than 1% of their income to the Lord or charity. And at the same time, well, the Barna Group has done another survey that says younger Christians give it an even lower rate. At the same time, a Lifeway survey shows that 75% of American Christians believe that God wants them to prosper, to receive. They expect God to bless them. They expect to receive from God, but they just don't have in mind the mindset of being a giver. Now, there are some who are great givers. It's, it's more often the 80-20 rule. It's 80% of things happen, but 20% of people doing them, or 80% of the giving is given by 20% of the people. It's that kind of lopsided view. Much of the giving in churches is down to just a few, a small number of people. Some people are afraid to give sacrificially. They think they'll lose out. Yet on the contrary, if we give, we're not in danger of losing out. Jesus says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Some people in the prosperity gospel and try and make out that, well, if you give to our ministry as a prosperity preacher, well, God will give you a hundred times more. So give me your money as their approach. And that is totally unbiblical. That is just using the Bible to make money out of people's covetousness, in a sense. But even when we do look at passages like this, and it is true that the Lord will give us back more than we give, it is not necessarily the case that we get it back in this life. We can be treasuring up for ourselves 
Well, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And that was the point that Victor Hugo was trying to make towards the end of his book, or at least one of the points in the book Les Miserables, that ultimately we ought to see the riches, the salvation that is found in God. Because whatever human system or change of government or whatever we do here and now, it doesn't change things in the long run. It's only when we turn to God and give to him and give to others and and place our faith in the rewards that he gives, the riches that he gives, and especially the eternal riches, that we will be blessed. In the long run, those words that Jesus says, we should remember them, it is more blessed to give than to receive. How much should we give then? That is a question. How much should we give to the Lord's work? When a woman came to the house of Simon the leper, she poured costly ointment on Jesus' head. And some of the disciples thought this is a waste, probably Judas being the chief one of them, that could have been sold and given to the poor instead. But Judas wasn't really concerned for the poor. He was in charge of the the purse. He was in charge of the finances and he was skimming it off the top. He was more concerned about himself. But Jesus rebuked them saying that the woman anointed his body for burial. They were criticizing her for having spent money on Jesus instead of spending it on the poor. But the point is, Jesus rebuked them. Giving to the Lord is at times more important than giving to the poor. We should give to the poor, we should give to the Lord. That's not one or the other. But it is okay, it is good to give to the Lord. Even when there is so much need around us. Some people give 10% to the Lord, some people 5% to church and 5% to other missions. Some give 10% straight to their own church, knowing that the church will, will help and give it out as well to others. This idea of 10%, a tenth, or as the old English says, a tithe, it might be a good rule of thumb. It is a good rule of thumb, but is it required of everybody today? Giving a tenth, a tithe, was an Old Testament practice. And it is not incumbent on us today to give a tenth. The tithe was for specific people, the Israelites in a specific place, the land of Canaan, which they had been given as an agricultural economy. Everyone had a a plot of land, had a, a stable income. It was for a specific time while they lived under the administration of the law of Moses. But in the New Testament era, we don't live in that context anymore. 
And tithing is never mentioned after Pentecost as a model for the New Testament church. We live in various countries with various economies. Sometimes there's wealth, sometimes there's poverty. That one rule that applied under the law of Moses, and it applied on a, it was a good rule of thumb that was used in other contexts as well before that. We mustn't impose that on people today. For some, 10% is more than they can afford. And for others, it's only a fraction of what they have available in their disposable income after all the essentials are taken into account. But the principles apply nevertheless. Just as the Israelites were to tithe to support the Levites and the temple ministry, because the Levites, the priestly <coughs> tribe, didn't have their own farms, they weren't earning money from their produce or farm produce themselves. They needed to be supported by the other tribes who were earning. The principle applies today. Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 9, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that we ought to support pastors, missionaries, and church ministries. Before Moses, Abraham gave a tenth of what he had to Melchizedek in Genesis 14. And similar, similarly, Jacob promised to give a tenth of all that he received to the Lord in Genesis 28. So giving a tenth isn't just what applied under the law of Moses. It was a good rule of thumb before then. And it's a good rule of thumb still today. But for those who are close to the breadline, they don't have a disposable income that they can give so much from. Many people struggle to pay bills and provide food and clothing. And yet, sometimes we have more disposable income than we might think. Sometimes we spend on ourselves and then we say, well, actually, we don't have enough to give anything to the Lord. We spend on luxuries, we spend on ourselves without thinking whether that money could be spent on the poor or given to the Lord. In fact, when we think about it, Psalm 24 verse 1 tells us that everything belongs to the Lord anyway. It's not ours versus his. It's all his that he has given to us for our use and to use wisely under his leadership. Giving to him is not us giving away what we have, but recognizing that it's his in the first place. And giving to him is not so much about finance, but about worship. Tithing was never just about the value of what was given. It was also about the heart of the giver. Giving to God isn't just about financing the church and mission organizations. Giving to the poor is not just about them having more money in their pockets or being able to provide. It's about worship. God wants us to put him first in our lives. And if we're withholding our finances, our time, our affections, our worship, we're living for ourselves and not for him. The words of the Lord through Malachi seem relevant. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me, he says to the Israelites. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? 
You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me, he says. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. The Lord challenges his people to to give, to put him first, and then they will be blessed. When we are withholding from the Lord, we think we're We're just doing what we need sometimes, putting ourselves first. How much should we give? 1%, 2%, 10%, 25%. It varies from person to person. But C.S. Lewis seems to hit the right balance. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries and amusements, etc. is up to the standard common, or the common standard amongst those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. If our charities do not pinch or hamper us at all, I should say they're too small. There ought to be things we, we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. In other words, if, our, if we're giving to God after we've spent on ourselves, then maybe we're not giving enough. But if there are times when we think, I would really love to be able to get that, but I'm going to give to the Lord instead that's when we're probably in about the right ballpark as to how much we should be giving. We shouldn't expect people to not put bread on the table, to not pay the bills in order to give to the Lord. But it's from the disposable income that we have, from the non-essentials, that's when we can really look as to how much can we give. There is no fixed rule But instead, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Importantly, although in the Old Testament the ordinary person couldn't contribute to the ministry of the Lord in any other way apart from the Levites, the other tribes couldn't really contribute to the work of the Lord other than by giving of their tithes. In the New Testament era, that's not the case. Instead of the one tribe ministering at the temple, in the New Testament era, every believer has the opportunity to minister to the Lord. We've all been given gifts of the Spirit. And these are to build up the church, as in Ephesians chapter 4. Some people give financially. Other people give of their time. Sometimes it's easier to give financially because giving of our time, our energy, our effort takes up a lot more. It's, it's harder to do that. Ultimately, giving to the Lord is more about the heart than what we give.
There's a woman, Judy Kane, who wrote on this whole topic of the heart and about how giving ought to be a response of a relationship of thanks. She says that while hurrying through the train station, she had one of those aha moments that stopped her in her tracks. She said, I just left a sweet shop where I'd bought Valentine treats for a party of a few of us were planning for our church's single mums. Doing so took my thoughts back to a barbecue or a cookout we the previous summer for which I had covered the costs. The single mums, their children, and I enjoyed a glorious day at the beach. We were having a great time together and stuffing ourselves with burgers, chips, and all the trimmings. As the afternoon ended there at the beach, I sat amongst the mums at the picnic table as they enthusiastically divided up the leftovers, the hot dogs, the drinks, the desserts. And yet no one thought to offer me a thing. My feelings were a little bruised. No, I didn't need the food, she said. And most of the mums had given little thought to where the picnic spread had come from, but they knew that it had been provided by her. But the hurt was significant enough that she remembered it six months later at the train station. And then she said it hit me. How much more slighted God must feel when as recipients of his enormous generosity, we are reluctant to share a portion of our resources with him. Judy didn't need some of the leftover food. God doesn't need, in a sense, the offerings we give. But we ought to do it out of thanks, out of worship to him. There is a sense in which the churches, the mission organizations, the charities do need it. Just like the temple ministry needed the tithes of the other tribes in order to keep functioning. But let's thank God that even if we have, even if we have withheld, even if we haven't been generous with our worship, our time, our efforts, our finances... Even if we've robbed God, praise God that there's forgiveness at the cross. Let's just confess things with him and set things right before him. Ultimately, we can look at how Jesus gave. There's no one who gave more than God himself. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus gave himself, the Father gave his Son, Jesus gave himself. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He gave his life for others, and we ought to follow in his footsteps being givers. We're not likely to need to give our lives for others or our lives for the Lord, but we must be prepared to, if that's what the situation takes. But we can give of our time, our energy, our finances to see his cause prosper to see the the work of the church and mission organizations prosper, to help the poor, 
to see people blessed. He gave his all for us. We need to give our all back to him. Let's let's be givers at heart, not just takers. It's good to receive, but it's not good to have a heart of constantly taking. Let's be givers at heart. Even if we don't have the opportunity or the means at times, let's at least have that heart disposition. And let's give to the Lord where and how we can. He certainly deserves it. He is worthy of all honor and praise. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given of yourself to us. We thank you that you have prepared for us the riches in eternity and inheritance which is far better than we can even imagine. Lord, help us to be givers, to be generous at heart. Help us to to be a little reflection of your heart towards others. Lord, we have received from your blessing and your generosity so much. Help us to just pass that on to others too. Help us to be children of God in that sense. Lord, where we are in need and are at times more receivers than givers, Lord, give us the grace just to receive. But Lord, give us a heart where we would love to be able to give more than we can. Help us, Lord, to give especially to you and to see your cause prosper. Forgive us for where we haven't. And Lord, help us to know the joy of having a cheerful heart as a giver, especially to the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.